1: If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet, my name is Lance. Along with my wife Angel, uh, we're the co-lead pastors here at Radiant Life Church. And uh, if you've never been here before and you see two podiums, you're like, "I don't understand." Well, listen, you know what's better than one Peretsky? Two. All right, so let's go. Come on, somebody. All right. And so we're going to be preaching this morning and tag teaming, uh, and we're going to be finishing our series that we've been talking about, uh, walking in wisdom from the Book of Proverbs. All right, and so that's where we're heading. We're going to be talking about Proverbs this morning. Uh, Pastor Matt and Pastor Emily did a great job the past two weeks uh, preaching and unpacking the writings of Solomon. He is the author of Proverbs, and uh, Pastor Matt said it's like when you read through Proverbs, it's like Solomon's Twitter feed, right? You're just watching. You're like, "Ah." And uh, Pastor Emily uh, last week talked about how these are principles for us to be able to live by. You see, the purpose of the book of Proverbs is for us to understand that knowledge is nothing more than the accumulation of raw facts, right? Knowledge is saying, man, there's a lot of information and I'm processing it, I'm gathering it, but wisdom is different from knowledge because wisdom is the ability to see people, events, and circumstances and things the way that God sees them, right? It's saying, man, I have, I have this knowledge and I have these facts, but wisdom says, God, what is it that you want me to do with it? So Proverbs reveals the mind of God. Right, Big things, like you're like, man, this is really huge. What am I supposed to do with this? This It's high and lofty. And then the small things, the common, ordinary, everyday situations that we walk through. See, the book of Proverbs, the word fool is mentioned 99 times. All right, 99 times. So I wonder if there's something there. The word wisdom in the book of Proverbs is mentioned 54 times. I'm not saying anything this morning about what the Lord is trying to tell us, but there is wisdom and there is wisdom. Foolishness. By a show of hands this morning, this is, a, this is a moment for you to be vulnerable with your neighbor, okay? How many of you have ever made a foolish decision in your life? This is not the time to elbow the spouse. Like, How you. many
0: hands are we allowed to raise if we're being right. vulnerable in the room? some of you are like this. Like,
1: I got to raise them all. Like, this morning. Does this morning count? Right? And so, so we made some foolish choices, but I hope that for all of you watching online and in the room this morning, your foolish choice didn't look like some of these foolish choices this morning. See what I mean? Like, hopefully you didn't, how I many, when you watch that, you're like, where was the wisdom? Right? Lots of foolishness. I love the last guy. The last guy knew it was such a bad decision that he didn't even put his arms out. He just used his face, like to embrace, to, to brace what was about to happen. But there is foolishness and there is wisdom. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Proverbs chapter 14. We're going to look at verse eight. That's our, that's our verse that we're going to lean into today. It says, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of the fools is Deception. So there is wisdom and there is foolishness. So today we're going to be looking at how do, we, how do we practically apply wisdom to our lives, right? How do we apply wisdom so that we don't act like a fool? And I don't know about you, but every time I keep saying this word fool, I keep thinking of Mr. T. Anybody else thinking of Mr. T? Like, I'll put it a fool. Like, I won't do it. But, but here's the deal. is There's wisdom and there is foolishness. And today, uh, Pastor Angel and I are going to unpack five areas in which we can choose wisdom from the book of Proverbs instead of foolishness. Yeah,
0: and the first one is a wise person prioritizes their relationship with God. I could say it like this, a wise person prioritizes their time with God. And so we're going to dive into Proverbs chapter 9. I'm going to read from verses 4 through 6 and then again in 15, um, 15 through 17. And I want to encourage you later on to investigate this a little bit more fully because we don't have time to unpack everything that it has to say. But the first initial part of that is wisdom. That's wisdom talking. And then the second part of that that we're going to go to is foolishness or folly that we're going to be talking about. So here we go. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways behind and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. And so Folly says, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and food eaten in secret is delicious. What I find interesting is that the description of both folly and wisdom is incredibly simple. The, the relationship to what they're trying to accomplish is exactly the same. So you have... Both of them, if you read that chapter, they're at the highest point in the city. They're at the same location. You recognize that they're both calling out to the people who pass by. They're both calling out to the simple. They're both calling out to those who lack judgment. They're inviting them to come to their house. They've both prepared for guests. They've also both prepared food for their guests to eat. But where wisdom calls out to those who are humble and fear God, folly appeals to those who want immediate satisfaction. We've all been there before, right? Right? Wisdom says, to those who have no sense, to those who lack judgment, to the simple, to those without experience, come eat my bread and drink the wine that I have mixed. And Folly calls out to those same people, come to my house, those who lack judgment, those who are inexperienced, those who are simple and don't know how to think for themselves quite yet, come to my house. But she goes on to say, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten secretly is tasty. Or in other words, who cares where this came from? It's really good right now. Who cares where I got it? Who cares what the motives were? Right now, in this moment, you're going to have some really sweet, delicious food to eat. And friends, it's important to understand this thing. Just because we lack wisdom doesn't mean we hate God just because we are foolish doesn't mean we hate God. In most cases, it just means that we just really want some bread right now. Just means that I'm really hungry for the bread that you offer. Maybe it's the bread of sex outside of the context of marriage. Maybe it's the bread of success, or the bread of romance, the bread of family or the bread of pleasure. And if you temporarily leave God behind for just a moment, that's okay. We'll pick up to him later because right now I need this current satisfaction. So if I need to leave him behind for just a few moments, that's all right. We can let that be. But I just want to encourage you today as we dive into the scripture to ask yourself, do you value your relationship with God more than you value getting what you want? Do you value your time with him? Do you value the presence and the promises of God more than you desire getting what you want in the now? Because we value the things we've put our time into. We value the things that we invest in. We value the things that get our attention. And I know this one thing is true, that the cure of all of this, the cure to give in, the cure to giving in to immediate gratification Gratification? Yeah, that was the word I was looking for. The cure to that is in your relationship with God. It's in valuing him above all else, more than you desire, satisfaction in the moment. And so maybe some of you in the room right now, and you're in this place, You're considering, which table do I eat from? Maybe you're like, hey, it's not that really big of a deal. You know, I think we might get married. I think I love them. So, you know, it's okay to have sex outside of marriage. Or maybe you're determined to climb the corporate ladder. You're like, I'm going to get there. I'm going to be at the top. I'm going to earn myself a a space at the table that I really want to sit at, even if it means harming my family or bending my integrity just a little bit. Or maybe you're here and you're like, it's my wealth. Like, I really want to get advanced in my wealth. And there's nothing wrong with that by itself. But I think for the moment, what I'm going to do is stop tithing, even though God commands me to, because I really want to develop what my bank account looks like. Or maybe you're like, I need to get revenge. Vengeance is mine. They need to know what they did. They did me dirty. Everybody is going to know about it. And I'm going to make sure that I get back at this person right here and right now, because I need to get it off my chest instead of taking a step back and letting God be God. So listen to the voice of folly, and you might just get what she promises. But if you listen to the voice of wisdom and do things God's way, you're going to reap the promises. You're going to add life onto you, as the scripture says, because after all, stolen bread may taste sweet, but it leads to death. That's not my words. That's not my opinion. That's in this scripture. We're in contrast. Wisdom says your days will be many, in verse 11. Your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. The gratification that comes with honoring God will outlast every temporary satisfaction that you are desiring. It will mean so much more. It will breathe so much more life into who you are than than satisfying yourself with stolen bread, bread that was never meant to be yours, bread that was never meant to bless you or to sustain you like his relationship was. And so every day, with every word we speak, with every action with every thought, with every place our feet step, we have opportunities to fulfill our gratification. The gratification of our relationship with Jesus or the gratification of the right here and the right now. And it doesn't matter what I do and what I have to accomplish to get there. So I just want to ask you, which are you going to choose today?
1: The second thing, if you're taking notes, is a wise person. And this is one of, the, this is one of those things when you write it down here in just a moment, Don't go, ah, after you write it down. You ready? A wise person is willing to receive correction. Right? A wise person is willing to receive correction. Book of Proverbs, chapter 9, verses 8 and 9, it says, Do not rebuke mockers, or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise, and they will love you. Instruct the wise, and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and they will add to their learning. Can I ask you a question this morning? How do you respond to correction? Right? How do you respond to correction? There are moments, and how many know that that the person that we said yes to, the person you said I do to, typically that person knows you the best, right? And so they see things maybe that you don't see. And so sometimes that person loves to bring an inspiring correction to you because they're seeing something that you don't see. And so there's this moment where Pastor Angel should be like, hey, I want to speak to you and maybe it's correcting. It's in that moment, right then and there, that the spirit of eloquence hits me. Right? How many know what I'm talking about? Like you just you just have it in the moment because she says something and all of a sudden in my brain I'm like, "Boo! Do you remember six years ago? <laughs> like six years ago we had just finished dinner. Actually, we had pasta. Your homemade sauce. It was amazing, by the way. Uh, and you said this. I was wearing my radiant light church hoodie and I had my pants. Do you remember? Like you remember all that? It's like in the moment we can remember everything in that moment right? Because it's like, oh, someone brought me correction. And so I need to respond and not receive. I wonder if in those moments we're meant to receive before we ever respond. So when people correct you, do you thank them for it? Do you thank them for it? Or do you resent them for it? Right? When people bring correction into your life, you're like, man, so thank you so much. I appreciate that. I love you. I didn't know that was a blind spot, but it was a blind spot in my life and in my leadership. And so I need to lean into that. So when people correct you, do you thank them or do you resent them? It, there's a biblical account in the Old Testament where the prophet Nathan is coming to uh, rebuke or correct David. All right. And there's this moment where Nathan is like, okay, I'm going to share this story with you, David. I want to I talk to you for a little bit. And he begins to share this story and he unpacks the story. And then he asks David a very important question. Hey, David, now knowing this story, what do you think should be done? And David's response is this. As surely as the Lord lives, this person should be put to death. I'm not saying that this is how we should handle the correction, but it's in that moment where the prophet Nathan goes, Hey, David, guess what? That's you. You're that man. Right? And so in that moment, what, what, is, what is David's response going to be? Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, it says, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Did you see his response? I, I, not anyone else. My neighbor didn't force me to. It wasn't because of this. It wasn't because of that. There's no excuses. I have sinned against the Lord. And so what do we see from David's response? The first thing is this, is you have to own your reaction. Own your reaction. It's not everybody everybody else's fault. Well, if this would have happened, if this would have happened. No, this was an issue with David. David made poor choices. He leaned into foolishness instead of wisdom, and now he has to own his reaction. What if in those moments when there's correction, we paused? And we, we began to filter through instead of responding with anger and frustration, but we leaned in and said, man, how can I come up with a gracious response? Thank you. Thank you for that. I, I didn't see that. And, and even if every fiber of your flesh is like, I need to let them know just hold on so you gotta own your reaction the second thing is this is risk uh resist being defensive anybody else struggle with that one or just me (laughs) right it's like in that moment like you're telling me what I what I've done wrong like you're looking at the speck in my eye and I'm looking at you and you have the redwood forest planted in both of your pupils and you're judging me for one thing I said or one thing I've done And now let me tell you and pull out the laundry list. This is what you did. This is what you did, right? Six years ago, right? It's in those moments where I feel like we need to hit pause. Because here's what I know. The wise thing is not to get involved in the argument. So a wise person is willing to receive correction.
0: Speaking of that, a wise person is slow to anger. Anybody else need to hear that today? A wise person is slow to anger. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and grab that, Pastor Lance. You know, Proverbs says this. It says, whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. One who is patient has understanding, and one who is quick-tempered displays folly. And so I just want to give you this illustration today. And let's just look at this in the context of our relationships, right? Relationships are beautiful. They look great. Doesn't Pastor Kim have great handwriting? Um, But it's something beautiful. Many people would hang a sign like this on their house. They'd be so proud of it, like all of the relationships that we have. And then what happens in the context of our relationships is somebody gets angry, Somebody gets angry, and so they decide to blow up. Have you guys ever been there before? Raise your hands if you've made some choices in your life that you've blown up. You blow up. You give some really unkind words. Your body language lets everybody in the room know just how unhappy you are. You are extreme. You are intense, and you are just done dealing with this person. And so because you feel that way you start to assume the worst, right? You know what they meant by. You know where they really were. You know what was really happening, and so you're gonna assume that you know what they meant by that. You're thinking they thought about something that happened six weeks ago. They have forgotten about that, but you know where they're coming from. And so you get so angry in your relationship that you start the name-calling. And now you start letting them know who you really think they are, and you start using words and labels that Jesus has never given them. You start speaking things over them that are not from the Lord. And then you go on to start making threats. Well, if you don't do this, then I'm going to do that. I am going to leave. I am going to call so and so. I am going to get back at you or whatever the threat might be in the moment. And some of you who are real quiet in the room, you think you're off the hook because some of you start to clam up in your anger. And you start shutting people out and becoming passive aggressive. You give the silent treatment. I might not be yelling at you, but ooh, I'm a yell at you by the distance that I'm creating in our life, in our marriage, from my parents to my children. And then you start the abandoning. So then I am not going to have a relationship with you anymore. I'm going to separate myself from you. Maybe I won't abandon you physically, but I'm going to abandon you emotionally, and you're going to feel empty and far from where I am right now. And then because you're so angry, you start bringing others into it. Because other people need to know what they did wrong. They need to know how right you are because you need a village to understand how justified you are. Or really, you don't even need them to understand. You just want them to see that person the way you see them right now instead of how God sees them right now. And then when they start having that conversation, you start to blame or make excuses. Well, you know, this was not my fault. If you hadn't done this, then I wouldn't have done that. The last time I checked, nobody has the ability to open our mouth, take a breath of oxygen, form words, and create sounds that come from our lips. But how many times have we done that? Look what you made me do. Or if you would have done this, or how about, but if you understood why, right? And then we become closed off to the truth because we don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear our part in it. We don't want to own our part in it. And so then our relationships look like this. And then we're supposed to just continue on like nothing happened. Because you're going to feel better. And you're going to be able to move on. And then we're going to leave the person that we love dealing with this. And so what we'll do, if we're mature, because some of us even struggle with this, is we say, we're sorry, you can go ahead and put that down. For the sake of time, I won't have Pastor Lance pull these screws out, but if we start taking those off one by one, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. We realize what we did wrong. That relationship doesn't look the same as it did. That board is going to have holes in it. It's going to have splinters in it. The paint is no longer going to be where it was. And then we just have to, like, you feel better, great, but now I'm left struggling with how I'm supposed to look at you, how I'm supposed to feel about myself. And so we have to learn that anger is not the sin. Anger is not the problem, but how we respond in our anger has the power of life. And death, it's not okay to blow up or overreact or name call or treat people that are the object of Christ's affection as anything other than who they are in Christ. We need to learn to pause, to listen. Listen for understanding, not to respond. What are they trying to say? Where are they coming from? And friends, they can be dead wrong and you can still sit in silence. Sometimes when we really love someone and we know that they are just In a mood, we can let them have their mood and take a step back and come back to that conversation because love would do that for someone. Because what we do is alienate people when we blow up and then we feel better and they don't. They're left to pick up our pieces and then we start blaming things. Oh, this is a spiritual attack. The devil made me do it. No, he did not. It was your lack of discipline and self control that hurt the child of God is not on the devil. The devil doesn't make us do anything. What he does is he takes our lack of discipline and our lack of spiritual authority that we should be fostering in our own, and he uses that against us. He knows where we're weak. So what we need to do is approach people with peace. Approaching people without peace in your mind will set you up to give them a piece of your mind. Approaching them without having spent time with Jesus, praying about it, feeling better before we attack and go into a situation, makes us give people a peace of our mind. That's not what God has called us to do. God has called us to walk out his heart. He gives the peace, and we respond accordingly.
1: Right, so that line, oh, I can't wait to give them a peace of my mind. That's the moment where you should pause and go, no, 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 I need to have peace in my mind. Right, before I have this conversation. Uh, number four, a wise person considers their words. The average person uses 16,000 words a day. Average. Some of you are overachievers. I understand this, right? But 16,000 words a day. Every single day, there are 3 billion emails sent across the world. 3 billion emails every single day. Every minute, There are 100 million text messages sent every single minute, 100 million text messages. See, the power of your words is important because they can either build up or they can tear down. Your words will convey love or they will convey hate. Your words can inspire a future or leave a wake to deal with in the past. Did you know that there are 915 verses in the book of Proverbs, 222 of them deal with the words that you speak which means a quarter of the entire book of proverbs is leaning into one topic which is your words i don't know about you but if a quarter of something is communicating one thought then for me i want to lean in and know what that is because here's what i know what you say and how you say it matters right what you say and how you say it matters proverbs 10:11 says the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life we could stop right there right like We're righteous, and so everything I say is like a fountain of life. It's brilliant. But the mouth of the wicked conceals violence, which means our words are powerful. They can bring life, or they can bring destruction. I think we need to learn to tame our tongues and train our thumbs, right? Like bite a little bit harder, and right here, train them. Is this going to be life-giving? Is this going to be inspiring? Am I pulling people, pulling the best out of people? Is this supportive? Is this encouraging? Did you know that your words have the power to shape lives? Just lean into that for a moment. What you say has the power to shape somebody else's life. Because I know, I can guarantee it, if I were to ask and, and have a conversation with you and get to learn your story and, and unpack that a little bit, someone, or, someone may have said something to you when you were young and you believed it to be true. And now your filter is because someone said it that, that it was true. Because it began to shape your life. A number of years ago, when it was ready for, I was ready, and I wasn't sure if I was ready to become a lead pastor. This woman right here was was in my corner, saying, "Listen, honey, you got this. You're a great leader. You can do this. I think you can preach." And you can, and and she built me up in that moment that I went, "Maybe, maybe I can do this, right?" Because power, the power of your words has to shape people's lives. And so, how do we use use our words wisely? I think if we all wanted to use our words wisely, we would we would think before we speak, right? And so how do, we, how do we think? The T for think is, is it true? Is it true? Or, or am I throwing around half-truths that will make me look better or help me get my way? Is what I'm saying true? H, is it helpful? Right? Every conversation that you have, understand something. You can, you can either bring lighter fluid or a fire extinguisher too. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, this is ready, I'm ready to go. And you walk into work and you bring in your lighter fluid and you're like, oh, this, I'm about to put some things on this today, because I'm let some people, I'm gonna set this whole place on fire. You can do that if you want to. Or you can show up with a fire extinguisher that says, you know what's wise in this moment? Let me put this out before it ever begins. Let me lean in, let me, let me pause for just a moment. Is what I'm about to say helpful? I, for think, is it inspiring? What I'm saying, is it pointing people to Christ or is it pointing to me, right? Is what I'm about to say, is it so inspiring that I see a calling in somebody else's life and I just want to speak into that calling because this is what Christ has for your life? So is it inspiring? And is it necessary? How many know that just because it's true doesn't mean you need to say it, right? That's wisdom. Just because it's true doesn't mean to say it. So you'll see after service, we try to do it every Sunday. Like we stand at the door and we greet because we want to get to know you. We want to to hear your heart. We want to connect with you. And if you're a guest, we'd love to connect with you at the door. But can you just imagine for a moment, like you're a guest at church today and all of a sudden you're talking to the pastor and you greet his hand. And all I say is, bro, I don't think that fit's doing it for you today. Well, it's true. So I had to say it because in the moment they could look back at me and be like, listen here, Captain Pumpkin Pants. It fits not working for you today either don't judge my pants these are good pants but here's the deal just because it's true is it necessary to say if it's not necessary then why are you saying it if it's not building up then let's make sure that we're pausing and then lastly think before we speak K is it kind right maybe we should choose words like hello i'm sorry thank you let's meet for coffee right? Think about this for a moment. Before, before you become the internet police, right? Could you just imagine before you hit send on that post, could you just pause for just a moment and then send that person a message and just say, hey, would you like to connect with coffee? I'd love to get to know you a little bit more. I'd like to hear a little bit more about this situation or about this, top, about this topic. Why? Because you're being kind. When you say, I forgive you, you're kind. When you say things like, I love you, I appreciate you, you're being kind. So my question to you today is what do you plan on doing with your 16,000 words.
0: And speaking of kind, we're going to end with that. A wise person is kind. Proverbs 11:17 says your kindness will reward you, but your cruelty will destroy you. And because we're born into our sinful nature, we are naturally going to want to self-protect. We are naturally going to want to lash out. We're going to naturally see the worst in others because they've hurt us. We're going to naturally, without Christ, want to be able to build our own kingdom, make sure that people know our name, create a good reputation for myself, and become me-focused so that I am taking care of me, even if it's at the expense of you. But according to wisdom, those behaviors will destroy us, not just others. Bitter and brutal behaviors destroy me, not you. The brutal and bitter behaviors that we exude when we're angry—it destroys me more than it's going to destroy you. And we've been there before. We have been there, sitting in our regret, sitting and feeling horrible, horrible about what we said or how we handled a situation. And so, it's important to understand what does biblical kindness and mercy look like. How can we walk this out if we're going to if we're going to talk about God's word and understand that His word is calling us to be kind as we walk in wisdom? It's things like doing good to one another, encouraging one another, seeing what is right and pulling that out. And it doesn't mean that they don't have things that they're struggling with. It means that you are choosing to pull out more of what's right. And so once we begin to walk in our right nature with the Lord, those other things tend to go by the wayside. Maybe it looks like don't expecting something from some, don't expect something from someone who you've blessed. Don't give a gift or help somebody because you expect something in return. Don't give a gift because you expect a thank you card. Don't help somebody move because you know that you're going to be moving in three months and you're going to need a hand as well. Bless to bless. Bless because you love them, because God has called you to be good to one another. The Bible talks about helping the weak. Help those who are suffering, who are hurt, who have ailments. Help the weak. The Bible also talks about repeatedly in regards to helping the foreigner among you, caring for them, making sure that they are welcome and that they have what they need like you would care for your own family. Talks about being generous and giving the best that we have for other people. It's not about giving your old hand-me-down clothes that you don't want anymore or your old hand-me-down pots and pans because somebody's in need. It's about going, this is my favorite pan. I cook with it just about every day because I recognize that this size works really well for this family. And so because I can afford to buy a new one, I'm going to give you my best. I won't give you the one that cooks one egg. And some of y'all know what I'm talking about, the one that sits in there most of the time. But I'm going to give you my best because that's what Christ gave for me. Kindness looks like showing hospitality. It's in welcoming people. It's in letting them know that my circle isn't my circle. My circle is made for growth, and I'm just going to throw that wide open that you are welcome with me. You are safe with me. And each moment with each person that we encounter, it creates an opportunity to love and to be kind. And I want to encourage you today to steward that well. God has given you a gift in the people and in the relationships that he, have, he has placed in front of you. Steward your opportunities well.
1: So today, as we're talking about what's wisdom, what's foolishness, and we've given five and there, there's plenty more we could choose from. Like what does a wise person do? As we close today, I'll, I just wanna share with you and give you an opportunity to respond. Because the wisest decision you will ever make in your life is saying yes to Jesus. The most important decision you will ever make is saying yes to him, saying, Jesus, I've done it my own way. I've, I've seen what foolishness leads to, but I wanna lean into your wisdom. And so I wanna give my life to you. I wanna surrender to you. I wanna say yes to you. It's the wisest choice we will ever make is saying yes to Jesus. So this morning, I'm just gonna ask you to close your eyes I'm not going to ask you to do anything crazy. I want to I have an, an opportunity to pray with you. If you're watching online, one of our hosts would love to, to, to chat with you and pray with you. If you're here today and you're like, man, I, I, I've done some foolish things in my life and I want to I lean into wisdom. And so today, is today the day of salvation for you? Is today the moment where you surrender? Is right now and right here in this moment and in his presence where you go, I want to I surrender. I'm tired of doing it my own way. I want to give it to him and let him have control and ask him to be the Lord of your life. If that's you this morning, with no one looking around, you say, I want, that's me. Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to give my life to Jesus today. If that's you, would you just simply raise your hand up? All over this place, say, that's me, thank you. I want to give my life to Jesus, thank you. So Father, in this moment, this moment of surrender, We come admitting, we come confessing, and God, we come believing in who you are. So Lord Jesus, as we surrender to you, God, I pray that in this moment, as we have opened up our hearts to receive from you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come and occupy the space that it's always been longing to occupy that your spirit would be so deep within us, God, that, that we would know that this day, this, this wisdom moment, leaning into surrendering to you was the most important decision we could make because it's in this moment where our lives begin to change, where hope has a place to be born. God, we're, we're in this moment where we surrender to you, Lord, where we, where, we, where we don't look at where we were, but we look at the potential of where we're going because we're going where you're leading. So we surrender to you. We give our lives to you. So God, thank you for invading this place in our hearts with your presence today. That we would be drawn to you and give our life to you. The most important and wisest decision we could ever make. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning as we surrender to him, on your way in, you receive the uh, elements of communion. At this moment, I'm just gonna ask you to tear the top off and grab the wafer and peel back the juice and just hold onto it for a moment. See, wisdom and foolishness, wisdom, wisdom hits pause. The scripture tells us that, that when we partake and eat of the communion, that, that we need to take an examination of our heart. So in the the book of Matthew chapter 26, it says now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for it is the blood of the covenant and which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. You see, it starts with a relationship with him and out of that relationship with him is an opportunity to celebrate his goodness. This is not the actual body and blood of Jesus. This is symbolic, it's what it represents. <clears throat> so before we take of the elements, I'm just gonna ask you, would you take a moment? Would you hit pause? Would you do some self-examination, a little, a little reflective thinking? In a moment, Pastor Phil's gonna sing and the lyrics he's gonna sing, say, find me here in your presence. Right now, Lord, like I'm here, we know you're here. But the next line is so key, I'm not leaving the same. Right, you walked in one way, but this is the moment where you go, God, anything that's within me that's not of you, would you rid of my heart? Because I, don't, I, I want to decrease so you can increase. So in this, it's in this moment where we say, God, would you refine me? Would you purify me? Would you, would, you, would you be willing to move in my life in such a way? I give you freedom. So this morning I'm gonna pray for the elements what they represent and who they represent. And when Pastor Phil sings, I just want you to take a moment, hit pause, reflect. And then anytime after that, you're, you're free to take communion. Just as Jesus did, he gave thanks. So would you give thanks this morning? Jesus, we give thanks. This wafer, we don't, we don't, we don't just take it in a manner that says it's just a cracker, God, we pause and we do this in remembrance of you. This is for your body that was beaten, that was flogged, that was, that was put on a cross in humiliation, that had nails driven in and you hung there for us. And you hung there because you loved us. You went through what you went through because, because you knew there was no other way and you made a way. So the gap in the chasm was filled because of your love. And so God, we will not take this moment for granted. We will pause and we will, we will give you thanks. And Lord, for the juice this morning, for the representation of the blood, it's without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so Lord, without this, we're, we're lost. We're, we're, we're in hopelessness. But because of what you did and you did it for us, or we can, we can have that forgiveness. We can be washed white as snow. When the Father looks down, he doesn't see us, he sees you. He doesn't see our righteousness, which is filthy rags, but he sees your righteousness. Who was without sin, but bore sin. So that we could be the righteousness of God. So Lord, we give you thanks this morning. In your name. Amen. Let's take a moment to reflect and pause. And when you're ready, you can take.